Welcome to the Multiply Your Success podcast, where each week we help growth-minded entrepreneurs and franchise leaders take the next step in their expansion journey. I'm your host, Tom Dufour, CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team. And as we open today, I'm wondering what kind of work environment you are inviting people into. Is it one of trust and respect? And our guest today is Esther Weinberg, and she's an expert on creating successful and sustainable portable cultures and is the author of her new book, Better Leaders, Better People, Better Results. During our interview, she shares some great tips and suggestions about creating a culture, but also measuring your culture to help keep it in line with your company values. She even talks about the, quote, smell of your business, unquote, as a way to help get a sense or understanding of what's actually going on. So let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Esther Weinberg. Esther Weinberg, I am the founder and chief leadership development officer of The Ready Zone. Great. And uh, you have a great background and you have a new book out. So tell us about the new book and what you're doing there. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because especially in these times, what we found is that leaders want to feel ready to powerfully um, capture all the opportunities and challenges at their feet. And it's a tough thing to do, especially if you think about before the last two years of a pan, of start of a pandemic, life was rough enough as it is because of economy, technology, generational differences, political issues. And so we believe that how you actually be ready and powerful, take on all these opportunities and challenges at your feet is by creating workplace cultures where trust, respect, and psychological safety are not just valued, because probably no one would argue with that, but they're as measured as the bottom line. And we've developed these six KPIs, key performance indicators, or what we call affectionately zone performance indicators. That's a diagnostic because I find that, you know, I always get questioned about, okay, that sounds great, but how? How do I do that? Not, Not necessarily why, more of how, how do I do that? How do I implement that? How do I, how do I make my teams more effective? How do I create retention when people, when I'm bleeding people, like it, there's a lot of how. And so what we do is in the book is we explain the rationale and the why the zone performance indicators are so important and also how to actually apply them, what they are and how to actually use it and apply it. Really neat. So, and and I, I love this. And by the way, uh, Esther's book is available for a free download at thereadyzone.com. And I'll link that in the show notes so that you can check that out and get access to it. And and really this, the topic in your book and the subjects you're just describing of creating this type of culture and community uh, to me is critical for uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show was to talk about this idea of the portable work environment and what that means and what's involved with it. And to me, all of this coincides, it all blends together from what I've gathered. So I'd love for you to share what is a portable work environment? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I remember the great author, Stephen Covey has this great quote. I don't know if you're a Stephen Covey lover, but he's got this great quote called, um, it says, I hope I don't butcher it, but he's like, but he said that trust is the glue of life. It's the most, I think he said it's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. And it's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. And if you think about it data wise, that if employees trust their employer's commitments, their engagement level can increase up to 20%. And the likelihood that they will leave their organization actually goes down by 87%. 
And so mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, everyone's talking about this great resignation that happened. I mean, it's no mistake, it's not lost on people that there has been a lot of leaving. And I think the data showed that in September of 2021, almost four and a half million Americans left their jobs. And so it was the highest rate since 2000. And so the biggest thing is when we talk about a portable culture, what actually creates a great culture? Now, if you, before the days when we all went into lockdown and pandemic days, one would say it's the environments that have all the services, right? They've got the ping pong tables, <clears throat> I mean, the bowling alleys in the office, and they have free coffee and donuts and dry cleaning and all and, and free parking and all that, but and more. And what what we found, if you look at it, when we all went into lockdown, that all of a sudden everyone took whatever culture they had, but they didn't know that they did that. And they basically said, everybody go home, start working. I pray that that will everyone will start working. And then people were nice to each other for like four months. And then it was like, all right, we got to get to work. But what we, well, what we know, especially today, when many people have gone back to a physical office space or, or employers have actually employed this hybrid work mode, is what we forgot is that culture is more than the four walls of an office. And if you're actually going to create a sustainability of what your workplace looks like, it has to be thought about beyond the physicality of the environment. And so that's what we mean by a portable culture. It's like, think about your laptop, your iPad is portable. Not that I'm a spokesperson for Apple, but you know, it's, it's a portable thing. I can take my phone anywhere. So how do I do that with culture? So people have a similar experience. So for example, like when I was talking to you before, if you're going to create workplace cultures of trust, respect, and psychological safety, how do I actually do that practically and pragmatically that I don't need to be in an office to experience that? And so there's lots of ways to do it, but that's what I mean when I talk about portability of culture. Okay. Interesting. Well, and and it, it certainly this portability, whether we want it to be portable or not, for most companies experience this portability happening. And how can, in your experience and what you've helped companies with, uh, how do you create this culture that you're trying to create within four walls and now you're doing virtual work or remote work or creating this? What, what kind of steps or things can can an organization look to do or, or a leader that's tuning in, uh, maybe a nugget or two they might be able to take away? Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great question. I mean, there's there's several different things, but let's break it down. You know, first of all, um, if if the data shows too, if seventy seven percent of people trust their employer more than they they seventy seven percent of people trust their employer more than the government, media, or NGOs, and so if you have that, how do you actually build it? So I'll give you an example of how to erode it and then how to build it. So. I had a client of mine who said, you know, on Fridays after five o'clock, we're not meeting anymore. Lasted night, maybe 60 to 90 days. And then all of a sudden meetings started popping on our calendar at five o'clock, at six o'clock, at seven o'clock on a Friday. It didn't mean anything. The simplest thing you can do is also be your word. If you give your word to something, you have to actually make sure that it actually works because Remote work is challenging for interpersonal communications, right? It's tougher to read people across these kinds of lines. And so there's 
So if we talk about when I say something, actually do it. So you have to actually be able to live the values that you're espousing to people. The other thing to do is I find that teams migrated together really quickly and which makes sense, right? People were working together from all different parts of the world and the globe, but they never actually knew why they were working together. Other than you have this project, you have to fill it, you have to do it and be done with it. But it's not, first of all, you have to remember that if I'm on a team with someone, but I actually don't believe that they have the same competence level that I do, trust is eroded immediately. Or remember a team, we're talking about a team environment, reputation of individuals make up a team itself. So if I don't believe that we have a reputation together individually and collectively that we can, that we can even do the work, it will erode things. So as a leader, what you can do is you can come together and either create what we call a vision narrative, which is what is our North Star of what are we actually doing together? The second thing you do, which is, you know, lots of people create a vision, but what I say to people is how are you calibrating your work against that vision narrative? Because oftentimes they'll have the vision narrative as a sentence. And like, well, that sentence doesn't actually say much. So it needs to be a little bit more articulated, a paragraph or two that gives people a sense of actually where they're going. Then people can want, then what they can do is be in conversation about how you're calibrating your work towards that. Then the second piece that you do as part of that, you create what I call a team commitment. That's our North Star. Why are we together, the four, the eight, the 12 of us? And what are we committed to, to actually getting that thing done? And then how are we holding ourselves accountable to that commitment? And then all the non-sexy stuff, all the practicality stuff, which I call an impact guide are about what are all the ways in which we're going to work together in order to achieve it? And how do we hold each other accountable? Because that creates integrity for the group. It creates also within that you can create a sense of benevolence, meaning what's the emotional care that we're going to have for each other. And also the level of transparency that we're not going to be left in the dark. All these kinds of ways in which you're working sets the team up then in order to go like a bottle rocket. Now you're off and running. And then if something, what I like about this formula is if something goes wrong, which will, someone missteps, someone doesn't communicate, a mistake is made, then it's not an attack against you. It's about what did we agree to that it's not that either we stepped over or we're not in alignment anymore. And how do we recalibrate against that and then talk about it through that lens? Yeah, I really like how you describe that. So it helps remove some of those uh, feeling like it may be a personal attack from a coworker, whether it's coworkers or coworkers or an employee to a manager or for a small business. In this case, it very often is probably going to be the owner That's with right. their staff or their team. Um, or and so it, it helps eliminate that. Uh, and, and now now it can be uh, instead of it feeling personal or attacked in one way, shape or form, it sounds like now this can be productive and create productive discussion to address a problem that's been identified and how do we remedy that? That's right. You know, it's like when we, a lot of times at the Ready Zone, we talk about like these zone performance indicators. You have to remember what we're talking about. We're talking about three levels, the individual letter, level, the leader, and the responsibility I take as that leader, business owner, to your point, team, how do I actually bring teams alongside with me and how do I serve the organization? And so what we're talking about here you still need to take responsibility for you and your part while at the same time shepherding your team 
through all the different machinations of the team's growth and shifts and changes that are happening in the business. Well, and and one of the things that popped into my mind as I'm listening to you talk about this, I, I work with companies to help them franchise their business. I work with franchise organizations and people who listen in very well may be leaders that at, at, at multi-site businesses. So how does this work when, you, when you're when you at, uh, instead of maybe one mega complex for a home office, now all of a sudden you have all of these satellites, whether they're franchises or satellite locations, and you've got this whole mix going on. Uh, how does something like this apply to that kind of a scenario? Well, I think we have to take a step back and say a few things. One is when you're working in satellite offices, like I, like I was talking to a company the other day that has acquired companies all around the globe. So they went from a North America, Latin America-based company to now a multinational on every continent except for Antarctica. <laughs> and so <laughs> satellite office coming soon. And so, you know, the first question is that, do you do you want to actually have a similar way of operating? Do you want to actually have a similar culture? Now that doesn't mean I want to be clear when I say that is it doesn't mean that I'm going to I'm going to make everybody do everything the way Americans do it. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about is that you do take into account cultural nuances, but do you want one culture inside your company in the way that you're operating. Because I I remember a great quote someone said a long time ago where culture is the smell of the place. And I think you get the smell of the place even in Teams or Zoom. I don't know if you've ever seen that, right? (laughs) And so it's it's a, you have to decide if you want to do that. The same rules apply, Tom. If you're going, if you have satellite offices doing it the same way, that I'm talking about. I mean, the company that I'm talking, uh, that I'm referring to you, they've acquired all these organizations. Can you imagine you acquired all these companies around the world, but you've never actually sat them all down to create even a leadership team from a competitive standpoint to say, okay, let's say we don't want one culture, but how, and how do we organize ourselves as a think tank, a leadership think tank? So when competitors come, come at our feet, which they will, how do we become more anticipatory for it? So I actually think that um, even if you choose to not have one culture, I do think organizing yourselves in the beats that I mentioned before about vision narrative, team commitment, impact guide, I still think those rules apply, especially if you have satellite offices. Because the one thing I hear in satellite offices, and I was in a satellite offices many moons ago, is that you don't, you feel so isolated. You don't feel part of the mothership unless someone comes visits. <laughs> and so you want to make sure that you that you have that experience. And so you have to create it for people. And then once you create it, I had this conversation with an executive yesterday at an entertainment company. And I, I said to her, don't go through this exercise unless you're actually going to use it every day to calibrate your work. So we're going to make need to make decisions. How are we d- making our decisions calibrated against what we're actually saying that we're committed to or what our, our narrative actually says? And if it's not, then we either look at what we've actually committed to or we eliminate it entirely. 
Yeah. And, and the, the satellite idea makes a ton of sense because really you, satellite could be your home office now. It could yeah. be, a, uh, and, and people are feeling, could, could be, be feeling isolated or completely connected to their work and what they're doing. I know our organization has run primarily uh, remote from inception. Yeah. You know, and and it, it's been great long long term staff and people and uh, there there's clearly some a connection point that they're feeling to the organization despite working from home from a home Absolutely. office. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things too you mention or talk about is is kind of your vision or or uh, I, I guess not your vision, um, really what your uh, opinion or viewpoint is on where uh, where things are going with. Uh, with remote workers, with remote staff, remote offices, how do you see the, the, just this whole impact changing, staying the same, more of it with a lot of what you're talking about? Because I'm sure leaders is, is the COVID thing, you know, it seems like it's, you know, we're, we're through the thick of it, you know, in terms of uh, lockdowns and shutdowns, it seems like we're, we're kind of through that. But this hybrid remote thing, portable office is not going away. Um, at least it seems that way. So you're in this world yeah. every day and seeing this. What, where, where do you see this going? What, what do you see happening? You know, it's such an interesting question because I think some of this is generational too. So what I mean by that is I was talking to an exec. Well, there's a few ways to answer this. One, I was talking to an executive the other day who's head of head of marketing at a large company. And she was saying that she and her peers were sitting together and talking about full return to office. Right now, they're starting to request three days a week, and that I'm sure will eventually leave into five days. So they're trying to figure out the three-day week. I'm sure lots of people in this situation figure out the three-day week situation. How do we get people to come back when people are like, why are you having us come back? We've shown you that we don't have to do this in office, right? So- she, I said to her, well, what did you all decide? You know, smart people in a room, right? You know, must have brainstorming session. And she's like, we went round and round and no, we could not solve it. She's like, no one wanted to make a decision. No one wanted to solve it. And what I said to her was, you have to change the question. So the question is, how do we get people back into an office? It's not the question. The question is, what kind of environment do we want to create for people that their desire to come back will be greater than the desire to stay home. And, and not even, let's take home off it. What kind of create environment do we now, what we know today about the world and the way we want to shape the workforce and the workplace, what kind of environment do we want to create for people? Goes back to the portable work culture that when they're here, because if they're only going to be here three days a week, what is it going to be? Like three days a week, you're going to experience this. And then two days a week, you're going to experience that. So what's the kind of workplace that we want to create for people that's that actually is sustainable, that people can experience it through every day? Because I had one executive say to me, so funny, she's like, you know, I have people coming to me and saying, these young people, Gen Z, um, they don't want to come to work and they don't want to come to a workplace. And, and, and I have people complaining to me like these young people. And I said to her, what are you inviting them into? What's so appealing anymore? You know, people have choice. <laughs> and so what are you bringing them to? And so I do believe, and, and it's controversial because even I think it was um, someone uh, in a senior executive in HR at Google was saying that 
hybrid is is not going to stay and it's not going to work. I actually do think that a hybrid remote environment is going to be here to stay. And I do think some of this is also generational because most people that I'm seeing, I'm just talking about clients that I'm interacting with, that it's very generationally dispersed about who wants people to be in the office full time. And so I do think that you're going to have a hybrid because also there are things that are really important for people to do together. Camaraderie, collaboration, there's a degree of that that you can absolutely do virtually. We've done things virtually the last two years that I could never have imagined us doing before. And there are things that absolutely being in the presence of each other and that energy and that juice, like brainstorming sessions, I do think that there's something about that that's precious and the way you create relationships when people are in person. And so I do think that it's here. But I think it's almost like evidence that demands a verdict to see whether or not it stays. But I, I do think, if you think about it, the workplace, the construct of it hasn't changed in decades. Because, and it would not have changed unless COVID happened. And so now COVID happened, and we're showing people that we're real naysayers to hybrid, that people can actually get a lot done remotely. There's a lot more questions now because there's monitoring technology that creates this suspect of big brother watching. And so I think we're, I, I do believe it's here to stay, but I think we're still working out what that looks like. So employers feel like they know that people are doing the work and then people are proving that, hey, I can work no matter what hour of the day and I can get it done and still have those relationships with people that make it important for me to come to work and stay at work. Yeah. Well, I think this this circles circles back. All of this ties back in really with with the uh, message from the book you released uh, about really having these KPIs established ahead of time and actually be monitoring them as you you've used the phrase to be calibrating against on yes. a regular basis. Otherwise, it's just it's just words. It's meaningless without this. Uh, calibration without this checking, without monitoring how well you're doing or not doing, and then adjusting accordingly based on what you've predetermined to be important. And like all things, I would imagine if you determine later on that those items you originally thought were maybe important to be included need to be changed, then you change right. those and measure the new things uh, that you have coming on. That's and right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, this would be a great time for us to make a transition here okay, to, <laughs> to ask every, and we ask every guest the same four okay. questions, uh, that we ask every guest before they go. And the first one is, has there been a miss or two that you've had along the way and, uh, something you've learned from it? Oh yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I said to you, when we started this conversation, I said, I think misses are critical because if you don't have misses, you don't have learnings. You know, otherwise everything is like, oh, it's great. And then who remember, you remember your biggest step in it, right? <laughs> so let's see, there's many. So I'll give you big and mild, <laughs> okay? So I remember years ago when I was a corporate executive and um, I, I, was, I, worked for, I worked for someone that I wound up feeling that I did not respect. And I said to myself, I have to exit the company. And so what I started to do is I was, I was orchestrating my own exit. But what happened was, as I was orchestrating my own exit, I, I was so clueless 
as to how I was being in rooms with other executives or decisions I was making, I just did the dumbest stuff. So like my boss said to me, I don't want you to go to New York um, for, for something. I forget what it was. It was a long time ago. And I went ahead and booked a trip to New York for work. You know, it was like that kind of stuff that was just so ridiculous that when someone, this, there's a way, if you're going to go, <laughs> exit gracefully, but don't also muddy the waters on your way out, right? So there's that. Then uh, it was funny, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the phone with um, a senior executive who was a coaching client. And, and it's interesting because when I coach people, there is not advice giving that I give. You know, it's very much um, 80% them talking and me 20% listening. And I remember I went on some soapbox about something and I could see her face <laughs> and she looked like, what the hell is she talking about? And at one point I just, and, and she, and she got really impatient. She was like, no, 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 it has nothing to do with that. And I said to her, did, did anything I say to you resonate at all? And she goes, not really. I'm very confused. <laughs> so I, <laughs> It was like, Oh, how not, how to pause, reflect more artfully, <laughs> not go off in your own tangent. So I think those are those are uh, severe step ins and a little bit milder step ins. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I always like on on the other end of things, you've shared some success stories with us throughout the interview so far. But are there any highlights or or makes that you'd like to share that uh, additionally here? You know, this, this, there's so many, I would say that I I would say there's two, there's two things that come to mind. Um, One is I remember when COVID first started, we, as many people did band together to create all these different kind of global virtual programs. And I remember the first day that someone said to me at the end of leaving a six month program that we did called rise. And she said, I've fallen in my love. I have fallen in love with my job all over again as a result of being in this program. And I remember saying to her, I can now retire. That was one thing. The second thing I would say is we um we deploy a a um a mentoring program through a company. It's a multinational company, and we do it in North America. And it was so interesting because the intention of the head of HR in North America and I, when we originally deployed it, is because one of our zone performance indicators is culture ready. And the lens of that is creating a workplace culture where co- where coaching and mentoring is just what people do. I mean, just imagine being at a being working someplace where no matter what, you know that you're going to be mentored and coached, no matter what, in the truest sense of the word. So it's so what what we committed to when we started is that we want to both be out of a job, you know? So we'll deploy a mentoring program that we don't even need anymore after a few years. And so what we're seeing now is the seeds of it that's growing inside the organization, that people are starting to do this just as a matter of automatic course of who they are and who they're being and how they're leading. And it's outside of their spheres of influence. I'll put that in air quotes, spheres of influence. And so I would say those are just two recent ones that are just very gratifying and very humbling too. Those are really sound like just just memories you can't forget. You know, no. yeah. Wow, what an impact! That's incredible. Um, well, the 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 next question we like to ask is: uh, Have you used any multipliers as you've grown in, in professionally, uh, personally that that you'd like to share? It's so interesting. Okay, so there's 
so if you say um, growing my business, I would say mentors. I don't know if this is the sphere you're doing it, but I would just say mm-hmm. mentors, which are critical because you just don't know what you don't know. And especially, and I think that like when I was describing the, that misstep early on, had I had or sought out mentors, I think I probably would have been in a better situation. Um, I think providing people what they need, asking people what they need and actually listening to people. Because sometimes what I find is people struggle a lot. Like, what you know, as a, as a business owner, you're going, what do people really want? And then you're trying to come up with all these clever ideas. And I'm just like, you just ask them. It's so much easier, you know? And then also um, we do create and deploy a lot of content and practical. So I would say that's been very impactful. Personally, I would say, dear family, dear friends, journaling. And when I, and the journaling that I do is journaling almost in question form. So it's, you know, if I'm trying to be an observer of my own actions. So if I'm, let's, I'm making this up, but let's say I'm feeling disappointed or I'm feeling uh, that there's an upset, really questioning myself of what's creating that for me and why am I feeling that? What's contributing that? And uh, and also physical exercise every day, I think is just, there's so many health benefits. It's off the, ch- the chart. Um, hobbies, meditation. And also um, uh, my wife and I started a foundation this year. And so that is just grew personal passions. So I would say there's a lot, but there's, I mean, I think even if you drink water, that in itself could grow yourself. <laughs> you <know? So laughs> and discipline about it every day, Tom. <laughs> okay. Good point. Well, point yeah. well taken. And probably uh, I, my, I know for me and probably lots of folks that will listen to this can say, I do not drink enough water. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, Key takeaway. All right. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, and the final question we like to ask every guest is, what does success mean to you? So there's, you know, there's, um, there's two things that come to mind. So one is to echo what I've been saying this whole time is one is really seeing and creating workplace cultures of trust, respect, and psychological safety, period. The second thing is living every day a personal and professional legacy, which is bringing human dignity to the planet. And so to me, if those two things are happening on a daily basis and we feel like I'm working towards that in some machination, that to me is success. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I, I love, I, I love uh, the concept here of what you've shared so far. And as we bring this to a close, is there anything you were hoping to share or get across or haven't had a chance to yet? You know, I would say, I would say it's a, it, it maybe echoes what we were talking about before that, you know, look, I think what everyone's facing right now is that people are leaving their organizations. I have uh, a client of mine that's trying to recruit almost 300 people, 300 people inside of an organization. I know, makes your eyes stand out. So I would say really if business leaders want and business owners want to reverse this trend and keep great talent inside the organization, we've got to focus on building organizations with a foundation of trust, respect, and safety. And there is a financial return to that investment. Just remember that old adage that things started as start off as a profit problem, but it's a people problem. And so, and then I would encourage people to download, uh, go to a website, like what you said, download a book, Better Leaders, Better People, Better Results, six 
eye-opening strategies to thrive through change you didn't ask for. Because we talk about how to keep, how to build an organization that keeps great talent within the organization. Esther, thank you so much again for a fantastic interview. And let's go ahead and jump into today's three key takeaways. Takeaway number one is when Esther talked about culture being the smell of the place. And I thought that was a great way, and we opened the podcast with that statement, but she talked about how seeing and creating workplace cultures of trust, respect, and psychological safety is important, and that you need to measure how your culture is in line with your mission, vision, values, and and other related strategic items. And in her book, which is available at thereadyzone.com, it's a free download, uh, she gives six KPIs to to provide a way to help you implement and measure that. And I know we didn't get a chance to get into it in the interview, so uh, just giving a, a plug for her free download that she's offering there. So takeaway number two is she asked several questions, and I thought these were great, so we're going to ask them again. It says, what kind of an environment do we want to create that will make people want to come back to work instead of working at home? I thought that was a great question as we start thinking about if you've been working from home or maybe you have had staff working from home or maybe this hybrid environment. And she also asked, what is the kind of workplace that we want to create that is sustainable? And think of it this way, what are we inviting or our people back into? Because now with people being able to work from home or this hybrid They have a choice on what they want to do. And I thought when Esther talked through those points, it was just phenomenal. And takeaway number three, I thought this was great. She shared this as one of her misses, but she talked about not exiting gracefully from uh, from a, a previous position that she had held. And I thought that was just a great lesson or reminder for all of us. We want to exit gracefully as we depart from one, whether it's uh, whether it's a, a career or a job or a position, or maybe it's with a customer or a client, or maybe it's with some philanthropical uh, as some philanthropic enterprise or institution that we're involved with. Exit gracefully, kind of that old adage: don't burn bridges. So I thought thought that was a great way to close out for our third takeaway. And now it's time for today's win win. So today's win-win comes from when Esther talked about her personal and professional mission or legacy that she's striving for, and she said her personal and professional legacy is bringing personal dignity to the planet. I thought that was fantastic, and it reminded me of something that I've tried to do with our company, and it's something I, I would hope that you, if you haven't done for your business or for you personally as the leader of your organization, for you to really sit down and determine what is that personal mission or that purpose statement for you. I can say for me, Esther shared hers just as a reminder again. She said, bringing personal dignity to the planet. For me, it's to inspire and foster greatness. That's something that I really have a burning passion for. And so that's something we try to exude through our organization and the companies I'm involved with. So what is your personal mission and purpose statement? And I think if you can clarify that and put that out, it's probably already in action. If you haven't really thought about it, it's probably already there. You just need to find it and name it and talk about it. And I think it will help give you a lot greater clarity 
on where you're taking your business and your life. And that's the episode today, folks. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. And remember, if you or anyone you know might be ready to franchise our business or take their franchise company to the next level, please connect with us at BigSkyFranchiseTeam.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back next week.